Let's give it up for him. Thank you, guys. Y'all can have a seat. And we are going to start week three of Silent Nights. Now, as we do that, I just want to tell you, some of you know this about me. I have a sickness, all right? And I'm going to do some confessing amongst you some of here. So, Kevin, you need to listen up, okay? Here's the gig. Here it is. I love Christmas, Anybody out there like that? You just love Christmas? Let me tell you, I love Christmas. Uh, When the Christmas lights are going up, I'm happy. And when they're coming down, I'm sad. And uh, if you could, thank you. And uh, I I just, I love Christmas. I love Christmas lights. I love driving through um, all of the the, uh, neighborhoods to be able to see exactly where everything is going. I love Christmas movies. All right, some of my top Christmas movies. I love Charlie Brown Christmas. I love it that um, you have this guy by the name of Pigpen who can actually have a dust storm amongst a blizzard. That's crazy. I love Charlie Brown Christmas. I love Miracle on 34, 34th Street, both versions. All right, I love the black and white, I love the color. Um, I love Rudolph and the claymation of Snow Miser. I am Mr. Snow. Okay, anyway. Um, I love the discovery of the world's best cup of coffee in the movie Elf, you cotton-headed ninny-mugging, right? I love Elf. Love Elf. I love, uh, in fact, this was so neat, Brooke Palmer, one of our worship leaders, her and a friend actually got some spaghetti and poured syrup all over it. And ate it. And that's nasty, but that's what happens in Elf. I'm just saying. So I love uh, Polar Express. I mentioned I love Polar Express. I love um, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And my boy, Cousin Eddie, right? Man, I love that when he's emptying the sewer of his uh, RV. And I just, I love that. And I can't even repeat that in church. I'm just telling you, it's just fun, Right? I love Snots the dog. Let me tell you, I love Christmas food. My mom, who's sitting right back there, she makes Christmas candy, and she makes some. She makes coconut balls with like covered in like chocolate. She makes some magic cookie bars. Uh, She makes M and M and chocolate chip cookies, and and she lives at two forty four Edmondson Lane. And uh, one of the things that we would do, and we still do, is we'll all get together as a family, and we will put on our fat clothes, which means they're sweatpants, and we will put the Christmas candy all around the table, and we will eat and play board games all day long, because we love Jesus, all right? But it's just, I, I love that. But let me tell you what really gets me in the mood. Christmas songs. I love Christmas songs. Now, some, I think there's two groups of people in the world. There are some of you groups who, with Christmas songs, you believe it's okay to listen to Christmas songs, you know, lunch, Thanksgiving Day, and you listen to them all the way through Christmas Eve, and then you shut it down, all right? And some of you, um, we call you people Scrooge, okay? Because there's another group of people, which I am a part, who I believe it's okay to listen to Christmas songs once Cracker Barrel starts decorating for Christmas, which is usually around July 15th. True story, and and the staff makes fun of me about Christmas songs all the time. True story, about three years ago, we had a cold snap in August, and I started listening to Christmas music in August, because that's how I roll, right? All right, now here's the thing. Let me tell you how many Christmas songs I have on my iPod. 
I have 15,397 Christmas songs that will play for 38 days straight without repeating. I have a sickness. Now, let me tell you, that means I can start listening to Christmas music starting on November the 18th, and it will play for 24 hours a day all the way through December the 25th without repeating. I love it, all right? I just, I love Christmas songs. In fact, this is interesting. Uh, my favorite Christmas song and my wife's favorite Christmas song is the tune Sleigh Ride. And if you don't believe me, some of y'all, somebody can call me. Come on, see? I love it. Hello? Anyway, I love Sleigh Ride, and we love that. It's so much fun. But what I want to do today to kind of get us in the Christmas spirit is I want to go through some of the top 100 Christmas songs of all time. If you check on the internet, Google top 100 Christmas songs, there's a list, and it must be right because it's on Google, okay? So let's look at, okay, that's enough. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Some of y'all, y'all, I'll I'll, I'll prove this to him. All right, whatever. All right, here's the thing. Let me go through the first one in number 64 on the list, first recorded in 1944, but made popular in 1945 by a guy by the name of Dean Martin. It's written by Sammy Kahn, and this song was written on the corner of Hollywood and Vine during the hottest day of the year. See if you can check this one out. J.D., take it away. Number 64 on the list. Let me go ahead and pull back the curtain and let you see what was number one, the number one Christmas song of all time. In fact, this is interesting. This next song is not only the number one Christmas song of all time, but it's also the number one biggest song of all time. And, I mean, Christmas or non Christmas. And it was made popular. It was written by Irving Berlin. And um, it was made popular by a guy by the name of Bing Crosby. See if you can guess this. I'll tell you, here in this, if you live in Texas, uh, they don't have white Christmases. They have icy Christmases, all right, because it doesn't snow there. So I can't remember the last white Christmas we've had here in Clarksville. It's been a long time, all right? This next song, though, it's not Christmas to me until I hear this next song.
Silent Night. Written in 1818, it was composed by a guy by the name of Franz Gruber. Right before the Christmas Eve service, the church organ broke. Mice had eaten out the bellows. This young pastor, a 26-year-old priest by the name of Joseph Moore, realized it wasn't going to be fixed in time for the Christmas Eve service. So he got one of his friends, his best friend, a principal and a headmaster of a school to compose a song, a song from a poem that Joseph Moore, the priest, had written just a couple of years earlier. So just on some hand-scratched paper, while the snow was falling in Austria, he wrote Silent Night. And on that Christmas Eve service, what was supposed to be this huge organ that was filling this big cathedral, Joseph Moore and Franz Gruber sat on a stool side by side while just playing an acoustic guitar. And they sang Silent Night. I, I don't think they probably knew how big that song was going to get. And I love this song. But when you think about it, Christmas isn't the story about one silent night, but it's really about the interruption of 400 years worth of silent nights. And let me explain. The Christmas story is found in the Bible, and the Bible is separated into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And when the Old Testament comes to an end, it comes to an end with a book by the name of Malachi. This little four-chapter book Malachi. And then when you turn the page, there is a blank page in your Bible. And that blank page in between Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, and Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, that blank page represents 400 years of silence. So when Malachi comes to a close of his four-chapter book, the curtain comes to a close on the Old Testament, and as the curtain draws nigh, God goes silent. For 400 years, no one is really speaking about God that much. For 400 years, there are no prophets of God. There is no word of God being written. There are no scriptures written by God. There's just 400 years of silent nights. Where did God go? I mean, what was he doing during those 400 years? Had he got so fed up and frustrated with this sin-infested world that he just threw his hands up like an angry, frustrated parent and stormed off and 400 years passed and he finally got composure of his emotions and he came back and now he gives his son Jesus because he's gotten it a little bit together? I mean, has he really changed that much from the Old Testament to the New Testament? I mean, has he gotten in a better mood? What was God doing during those 400 years? Why the silent nights? And I think that's an important question. Because the reason why I think it's an important question is because you've had your own season of silent nights, haven't you? There have been some seasons in your life, maybe you're there right now, where God has seemingly gone silent. 
In fact, if you can answer yes to any of these four questions I'm getting ready to ask, then I'm going to propose to you this. You're not here by accident this morning. Or you're not watching by accident right now over the internet. Because if you can answer yes to any of these questions, then maybe God is behind you being here. First question. Has God ever seemed silent to you? Have you ever asked the question, God, where are you? Next question. Has it ever seemed like it took God 400 years to answer your prayers? Is he both silent and slow? Ever felt that way? Anyone besides me? I have. Do you ever feel like God answers other people's prayers but goes silent when you start praying prayers? Last one. Has God's silence ever caused you to wonder if there really even is a God? Maybe you're there today. Maybe that's your story. You've tried it. You've tried to pray. You've tried church. You've tried religion. You've tried everything you know. But it seems like your prayers, they don't go past the ceiling. And God is so real to other people. And when they read the Bibles and when they talk to God, it's like there's a relationship there. But when you talk to God, it's just religion. And he's just silent. If you can answer yes to any of those questions, I think there's a reason that you're here today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through a journey with the time that we have left today. And this journey is going to help us answer two questions. The first question is this. What is God doing in the silence? What is God doing in the silence? And that leads us to the next question. What are we supposed to do in the silence? In those seasons where God has seemingly gone silent, what is God doing in the silence and what should we be doing in the silence? Here's our big idea today. Our big idea is this. Never confuse God's silence with God's absence. Can we say that out loud together? Never confuse God's silence with God's absence. And here's the why. Here's why in those seasons where God seemingly goes silent, we have the tendency to try to either control our life because we feel like our lives are so out of control that we must totally zoom in and say, okay, God, I got to white knuckle this thing. Or we go on the other extreme and we see, you know what? There is no God. There is no God. And we start, we ask those difficult questions. And I tell you, if you go on either extreme of that, I really do believe that our greatest moments of regret happens when we try to control everything or when we just write God off altogether. Yet, on the other side, in these moments where God seems silent, if we lean into him and we trust him even when God doesn't even seem to make sense, those are the moments where God grows us up and grows our faith. The moments where God doesn't make sense are when the moments when God is the most real. Huh? Because, never confuse God's silence, God's absence. The reason why the Christmas story is so important is it's not some sentimental story that's like devoid of all, all pain, of all reality. Now, there's tons of pain and tons of reality in these pages that we're going to read. The Christmas story tells us, and the story behind the Christmas story, it's this, that even when God goes silent, he is not absent. When God has gone silent, he hasn't gone anywhere. So let's ask and answer those questions. What is God doing in the silence? And what are you and I to do in the silence? Now, in order to do that, we're going to look 
at the first book of the New Testament. That book is called Matthew. Then we're going to go back 400 years, 400 years, and we're going to rewind, and we're going to look at the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And then what we're going to do for the rest of the time today is we're going to see what was God doing on that blank sheet of paper in your Bible that represents 400 years. How did God interrupt the silence of that 400 years? Here it is, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. An angel comes to Joseph. And by the way, angel literally means messenger. So this messenger is bringing a message. That's what a messenger does. And this is what the angel says. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. This is a huge clue that answers the two questions. What, why does God seem silent and what do we do in the silence? Now, like I said, we're going to go back into time, 400 years back into time into the book of Malachi. Now, here's what's so crazy about this. You think about this. It's 2013. If we back, went back 400 years, that would be 1613. How long ago was that? Forever. Was America even around, the United States of America? Negatory, Ghost Rider. Thanks. Thank you, public school education. For Some of you said, yeah, it was, George Washington. All right? No, 1613. I mean, it was, I mean... Think of the advancements in modern medicine since then. There wasn't even an internet, teenagers. Did you know that? There wasn't an internet back then. It was nuts, all right? But listen what happens 400 years before God breaks the silence. Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. And this is one of the themes of the book of Malachi. Let's look at it. This is what it says. I have what? Always loved you, says the Lord. The wonderful thing about this verse, if you can just keep it up, is this verse is not written in the past tense. It's not even written in the present tense. It is, I have loved you, I love you, and I will always love you. In essence, what God is saying is this. I'm about to go silent. But in the silence, never forget this. Never forget that I have loved you. I love you. And I will always love you. Now, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what type of silence you're experiencing right, in, right now in your life. But what I do know is this, that the creator of the universe wants you to know that I have always loved you. I currently love you. And I will always love you. No matter what silence or what darkness you're experiencing right now, the creator of the universe who created the stars and the planets and the Milky Way and you is saying and whispering in your ear this morning, love you. You get nothing else out of this message. Get that. So what was God doing in these 400 years? When you go from Malachi, one page, to Matthew. I mean, at the end of that four-chapter book of Malachi, he puts down the pen and the curtain starts to draw close and for 400 years, there's nothing. There's nothing. What is God doing in those 400 years? Well, you know, I don't have a Bible verse, really, for the rest of this sermon, which is kind of crazy. Some of you, you know, you're like, great. I don't believe in the Bible, and I went to college, and this professor kind of debunked the Bible, and it's myth or whatever. Okay, I understand where you're coming from. 
But let me tell you what I do have during these four years is I have a human record, historical record that we're going to be looking at. And if you love history, you're going to love the rest of this talk. And if you hate it, let's look at what God was doing during those 400 years. And I want to show you four specific events how God was working behind the scenes during those 400 years of silence so that we can all be on the same page. In fact, if that professor you went to college, you kind of debunked the Bible in your mind, if he was here today, he'd go, yeah, I agree in that. Yeah, he's, he's right. In fact, yeah, that's what he said, and yet that's, historically, that's what happened. And yes, that's what happened. These four things that God was doing in those 400 years is really what's so cool. It's going to connect the dots so that you can understand why you're here today, thousands of miles away from where all this stuff happened, and why you're here today in a church that's talking about Jesus. Because God, we're going to see, had a plan and was working behind the scenes. Let's look at it. All right. During the Old Testament, time, during the end of the Old Testament was coming to an end, there was a major power shift happening. Babylon the Great wasn't so great anymore. In fact, they were kind of on the down low. And Persia was coming into power. And around 360 BC, a leader rose up from the area we now know as Greece. And his name was Philip of Macedon. Philip of Macedon unified a portion of Greece. But really, the reason why Philip of Macedon is important wasn't because of anything that he had done, but it was because of his son. His son you've heard of. Alexander the Great. Here's a picture of a bust of Alexander the Great. When Alexander the Great appeared on the world stage, historians say that the world had not seen a military leader or strategist quite like Alexander. In fact, many people still say the world has not yet, not seen since that day a military strategist like Alexander the Great. So Alexander, he takes on the Persian Empire. He demolishes Persia, and this begins a string of military conquest that is unprecedented to this day. And then at the age of 33, Alexander dies, 323 B.C. And right before Alexander died, again, if you if were in history class, and if you were listening, you remember this quote. Alexander said, I'm depressed because there's no more worlds to conquer. And then he dies. But before he dies, he makes two decisions that radically impacts the known world from that point forward. And here are the two decisions that he makes that he thought, yeah, that's a great idea. I'll do that. The first one is this. He made this statement. I want everyone within my conquering nation to speak a common language. Why? Because the reason why he wanted all to speak a common language was that if he wanted to say something, he wanted people to know what he said. They would be able to understand it. So they were all unified with a common language. And the common language that he decreed that everyone should know and will know and will learn is something we call today Koine Greek. And what Koine means is common. That means everybody. It's the common language. Everybody would understand Greek. So what's the big deal? Koine Greek. Okay, well, here's the big deal. If you've ever heard the name of Jesus, and if you've ever heard the Christmas story, it could be traced all the way back to one decision that Alexander the Great made of doing a common language. And maybe, just maybe, that wasn't his decision. Maybe, just maybe, God 
was working behind the scenes and influenced this guy who thought he was in control. He said, you know what, let's have a common language so that once Jesus comes up on the scene, everybody could know and understand. I love that. Little did Alexander the Great know that behind the scenes, God was not absent. He was present because even though he was silent, he was not absent. He was not absent. The second thing that Alexander the Great did was this. He created a common postal system. Common postal system. I don't know how much stamps cost back then. They're pretty high today. But here's the thing. He created this common postal system where he established 111 posts, stations over 1,677 miles, all the way from Sardis to Ephesus to Susa. Caravans took 90 days to deliver just regular mail. But royal carriers would take only one week by horse relays. Now think about this. When you're on one side of the known world, Alexander the Great is conquered, and you want to communicate to a general who's all the way on the other side, it would only take one week. I wish our current mail system was that fast, right? I'm telling you. But Alexander the Great created that system. Now why? It was his idea, right? Well, maybe. Just maybe. Maybe it was somebody else's idea that got planted in Alexander the Great's head. Maybe just maybe God is in control and that he's working behind the scenes so that when Jesus comes, people could hear about him and read about him through letters. Now, after Alexander the Great died in 323 BC, years and years pass, and another world power appears on the stage of history. The world power you and I know as Rome, the Roman Empire. When the Roman Empire appeared on the stage of history, they accomplished two specific things that we really need to talk about with this. The first thing that Rome did is they established something called Pax Romana, and it just means a Roman peace. You think about this. I said this in the first service. Imagine if our states weren't so united. And if you lived in Tennessee and you had to go to Kentucky or Illinois or, God help you, Arkansas, okay? By the way, I said that first service, and this entire section was from Arkansas. I don't know how that happened, all right? It it was awkward. All right, anywho, but anybody from Arkansas today? See, y'all got right with Jesus and you left. I'm just saying. Anyway, (laughs) bridges may ice in cold weather. That's what you need to know. Anyway, Arkansas. But here's the thing. If you had to get from Tennessee to Arkansas or Illinois or whatever, all right, and, and, and they weren't all together. They weren't united. It would be difficult. There would be passports, and you had to go through checkpoints. Well, let me tell you, what happened when Rome, Rome made pretty much the entire world at peace. It was a forced peace, but everybody could travel from here to here. You could travel to Turkey, to Greece, to Africa, to Europe, to the Middle East. You could go to all of that places. Why? Because Rome was in control. The, the fourth thing that happened is Rome established a transportation system. Rome established and they created Roman roads that to this day are still in use. I've actually walked on some of those, those roads. They improved this transportation system immediately. Now let me tell you, and this is where I really need to kind of stop and just put the brakes on because I can't overstate the importance of these four things as it relates to the question, what was God doing in the silence? Because how many of y'all have ever been to a play before? Anyone? Cool. You know, there's act one and there's act two. This past week, me and my youngest son, Bing, 
By the way, he's named after Bing Crosby. Did I tell you I like Christmas music? Just saying. Um, my, my youngest son, Bing, he's six years old. Him and I went to the Roxy, and we went to go see the frog and the toad. And um, what's so cool about going to see a play is you will go to Act One and you'll sit there and you'll watch and, you know, everybody will be up on stage and there's people behind stage doing stuff and all this stuff. And then they'll close the curtain and there will be an intermission. Intermission. What do you do in intermission? Well, if you're there, you go out there, you get some popcorn into the lobby, you get some Twizzlers, right? You, you, I mean, you kind of, you know, storing up for winter, you come back in here and the curtain opens for Act Two, exactly right. And you're ready. Now, here's what's so amazing, though, is while you were in the lobby getting popcorn and Coke and Twizzlers, what was happening behind those curtains was that stagehands were getting ready for act two. You couldn't see what was happening because the curtains were closed. But they were getting ready so that when the curtains part, something amazing would happen. And let me tell you, what's so cool about that? is that that's exactly what God was doing during those 400 years between the Old Testament and the New. It's if God was working as a stagehand behind the scenes, getting the roads ready, getting the postal system ready, making sure everybody spoke the common language, making sure that everybody could travel with no issues. He's rearranging the world stage to be perfectly positioned to spread the message of grace and forgiveness and the good news of Jesus. And here's how. When the curtain opens on Act 2, the New Testament, and Matthew begins writing, you know what's so cool? He wrote in what language? It wasn't English. In fact, English wasn't even around at that time. He wrote in a language we call Koine Greek. Common Greek. So if you have a copy of the New Testament, if you went back and traced it all the way back to what it was originally written in, it would look Greek to you, all right? It was, that was a good one. It was, it was Greek. He created this common language so that when everybody talked about Jesus, everybody would know and understand who Jesus is, was, and will do for your life. It's a clue that God was rearranging the world backstage so that he could bring his message to the front stage. Now, now the world has a common postal system so that when Jesus' missionaries, when they would sit down and they would write letters to talk about Jesus, and they would send them to places like Galatia and Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae. Those letters written to Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, and Colossae were written to people, and you could go into your Bible, and they're Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You see, God was working behind the scenes so that letters could go out to these churches and they would tell them about Jesus. I mean, what's so amazing is how this got moved forward so quickly that Jesus and thousands of people come to know him was all because they could speak the same language. They could actually have a postal system to receive letters. Oh, this is what we're supposed to believe in. This is what we're supposed to do. Oh, okay, this is what we can travel wherever we want to because there's a peace and there's roads that can get us there. When the Old Testament comes to a close, none of this was logically and logistically possible. None of it was. But 400 years in the silence, when the curtain goes down, God goes to work. God goes to work. And he was preparing the stage backstage so when Jesus comes and the curtains part, everybody would be ready. 
See, you don't have to take my word for it. You can actually take the word of somebody who was there, an eyewitness. His name is the Apostle Paul. In Galatians 4.4, he writes this. But when the set time had fully come, meaning that this wasn't 400 random years, God didn't storm off the scene. No, God was working behind the scenes the entire time. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law so that we might be what? Adopted as sons and daughters. This reveals what God was doing in the silence. He was working behind the scenes. And it also reveals what God is doing in your silence right now. Because just hang out with me for a sec. You see, you're experiencing silence and you feel like God is being quiet and he hates you. He doesn't love you. And you need to know this. In the silence, God is saying, I have loved you. I love you. And I will always love you. But what he's doing currently in your silence is he's working behind the scenes to get your circumstances ready and to get you ready so that at just the right time, and I don't know how this looks for you, but at just the right time, God shows up. Something amazing is going to happen. That's what God is doing in your silence. Okay, if that's what he's doing in the silence, rearranging your scenes and your circumstances so that when he shows up, it's all about him. What are we supposed to be doing in the silence? What are you supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be doing in the silence? And really, I simply think, well, when we hear his silence and you feel his absence, we're to trust his presence. When you hear his silence and you feel that he's absent, it's at that time that we are to trust his presence. Here's the point. God, when God doesn't make any sense, when God doesn't allow things to happen that you and I don't understand, when God does things that we don't like, it's easy for us to think, you know what, there is no God. Or it's easy for us to think, you know what, there is a God, but he's just, he doesn't care, and we have to control things ourselves. No. The story behind the story of Christmas tells us something totally different. That if you don't understand what God is doing, if you don't feel that he's there, he's absent, it's at that moment, that instant, you and I are to trust his presence. How do you do that? That sounds good, but really, realistically, how do you trust presence? Well, let me answer that by asking a question of you. What would you do if you were confident that God was with you? Sit on that for a sec. What would you do if you were confident God was with you? Whatever the answer is to that question, do that tomorrow. Because you know what? He is. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is right there. He is closer than your next breath. Know this. Then when everything doesn't make sense and you feel like God is silent, you feel like he's absent, trust his presence. Some of you, right now, you're on the edge of another deployment. I just, right before this service started, I hugged one of our great volunteers who's getting ready to leave this week. With tears in his eyes and my eyes, 
going away again. Some of you know what that feels like. For others of you, you're here and a relationship just ended. And you're crying out to God and you feel like those prayers aren't getting past the ceiling. You're, you're asking the question, what do I do? What do I do? What you do, you trust his presence. Dear God, I pray right now, God, for everyone in here. Lord, it's so easy during the holiday season to think that everything's happy, go lucky. And Lord, even though there's many of us who are happy during this holiday season, God, there are some of us with great pains and great aches. There are some people that have been talking to you what seems like for 400 years. You've not spoke. God, I, I don't have any easy answers for any of that, God. But what I do believe in is I trust your track record. Trust Jesus. That even when you feel so far away, even when you are so quiet, Lord, history tells us you are working behind the scenes that you've not left us, that you will never leave us. You are God with us. You are Emmanuel. Lord, I pray during those dark times, you would trust in you. Lord, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.